On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, it is Friday. It's time for the brightest conversation in Hamilton podcasting. And joining me this evening, MPP Donna Skelly. Lots of stuff to talk about around COVID and around, well, COVID. I mean, a lot of what we're going to talk about is COVID because that's what's going on. And her party is dealing with an awful lot of stuff right now. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Donna Skelly, Conservative MPP from Flamborough Glanbrook. So welcome, Donna Skelly. Thanks for doing this today. Oh, it's wonderful to be online. And you know, I, I love Sandy. She's a great gal. Don't think uh, her politics are great, but I, she's a super, super, super colleague. Well, I, I must say that as I looked, as I look at your the name of your writings, you... I must say you won out, and now I live in Sandy's writing, but you won out in this one. You get flam glan when you shorten it, which kind of sounds, <laughs> you know, glamorous. She gets H wad. You know, yeah, I, it's, no, if you I should just shorten it as a campaign tool. Right. Yep. I, actually, I also went on the political front, but let's. Uh, <laughs> no, Sandy's great. It's funny. We were on the same uh, finance committee and we traveled across the province. And I don't know if she shared this with you, but she's terrified of flying. And when uh, prior was this the COVID, small plane story? Oh, small, 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 small. And uh, I'm talking ice on the wings, and she's terrified. I'm, I mean, absolutely terrified. There was ice on the inside of the plane. It was taped. Part of it was taped. It was quite. It was quite comical. So it was uh, always an interesting. We were on the road for quite a while, for about three weeks, flying all over the country. Our I, nice, I, you know, one of the best. One of the best stops, if I can. I grew yeah. up in northern Ontario in a little railroad town called Capriol, and my father was a railroad engineer, and he used to go to a place. They used to uh, stay overnight at the bunkhouse in Sioux Lookout, and I had never been to Sioux Lookout, so we were talking about visiting a northern place, and one of the uh, MPPs, uh, Saul Mamakwa, represents a riding that included um, Sioux Lookout, and he hosted us there. And it was the most interesting experience. I'm talking north, like really far north. I think it was three hours to fly there. And we um, had for lunch, the hospital hosted us for lunch, and we had moose rigatoni and fish, and it was just phenomenal. It was just absolutely beautiful in the middle of January. Yeah, my mother-in-law, uh, she's gone now, but once upon a time dropped the surprise moose stew on us. We thought it was beef stew, and all of a sudden when we were done and thought it had tasted a little different, she goes, oh yeah, it was moose, ha, ha, ha. I loved it. My wife was a little freaked out by it. But um, but about you and Sandy, I, this is interesting because you guys won uh, your election at the same time. You, you went into provincial politics f- together f- for the first time together. And I know that at that time, both you and she had said publicly that, you know what, we may disagree politically, but we are not going to personally turn this into a personal attack against each other. We kind of like each other personally. Have you been able to maintain that? Absolutely. And I love her family. I think she's got a beautiful daughter who also works for the party. Um, Her family is, uh, you know, she's a wonderful woman. We just have different politics. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's healthy. We, um, you know, having um, different representation and working and collaborating with the other parties is, is imperative. And more now than ever during COVID, I think even if you notice our our premier and the prime minister, he they work well together. And Christia Freeland in particular and our premier, it's imperative. Uh, people do not want to see parties and politicians 
fighting and squabbling at this time. I think they want them to collaborate and work on finding solutions to get through this. There are no real winners. There are many losers during the COVID-19 epidemic, and it's it's really important that we put our differences aside and, and try and find uh, solutions for our most vulnerable when it comes to getting uh, the vaccine and the protection that they need in long-term care facilities. And, and of course, one of the initiatives I've been working on this past week, which was um, finding uh, support, financial support for our small businessmen. Yeah, and we're going to get to, we're going to get into that for sure, uh, because that is something, and we have a lot of things I want to ask you about with what's been going on and COVID and everything else. We're going to have a break coming up, but just before we do, uh, I want to ask you about one other relationship, which has been very public. Um, you and the mayor of Hamilton have butted heads at times. You're in a different position now. You're not around the council table from him. What's your relationship with like with Fred Eisenberger right now? It's, it's very, very good. It's professional. Um, I, I think we have, uh, it's widely known that we have an extremely polarizing views on the LRT. I don't think it's, it's good for Hamilton. He thinks it is a, a very important uh, step forward for the city of Hamilton. But again, it's one, you have to be able to work together in spite of your differences. And we have, we have put our differences aside when it comes to getting as much funding as possible from the province for the city and getting as many vaccines as we can uh, for the city during this crisis. Uh, It really is not personal. It was difficult initially because of um, of the challenges that LRT presented but as I said, I think we've been able to put that aside and, and act in, a, in the, a way that our constituents expect us to act, and that is to fight for the, the most that we can get for the city of Hamilton, for its residents, for its business community, and ensure that uh, we work together so that uh, Hamilton is not forgotten at any level of government. We have to take a break. I was going to say the only real personal fighting was with Mark Hebsher on Square Off back on the CHCH <laughs> days, but those are long in the past. We may get to that later. Uh, we got to take a very quick. In, there was no fighting. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But there were also no viewers when I filled in, so nobody noticed. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You are a member of the party that's in power right now, the Conservatives. And so let me throw this at you. Half of this answer I'm sure you're going to love to give. Half of this, half of this answer I'm sure you're not going to love to give. What, has the, what have your Conservatives done well through COVID and what have they not done so well? Oh, that's interesting. I think that uh, our leader has been a leader and I think Ontarians needed that and wanted that at a time when people were terrified, locked in their homes during the first, uh, the first lockdown. They wanted someone they could trust. And I think the fact that Premier Ford took to the microphone every day at 1 o'clock and spoke to them and was brutally honest about our situation was as horrifying as the information was. I think it was reassuring to a lot of people that they trusted that someone who was leading Ontario was someone they could trust and someone they knew could was going to do the best job they could that he could do or he or she could do. In terms of, I think, what we haven't done so well, uh, we've done a terrible job of communicating. I think, uh, especially at the um, when we were first elected, we uh, did not know how to share our message. I think the fact that uh, the Premier now has an opportunity to speak directly to Ontarians has been a, a huge 
asset for both our party and for Ontarians to get to know the real person. I remember when we were first uh, brought into power and people compared him to Trump, and they realized he is not Donald Trump. He's uh, anything but. He's not like him at all. And it was this um, uh, opportunity to have unfettered access to Ontarians that um, really showed the real real Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford. Other things that I think we could have done well, I think when we... um, We've had some infighting in caucus. We saw an issue today, of course, where uh, MPP Babber was um, is no longer part of the PC caucus. But I think that probably happens in, in all parties. Um, other than that, I think it's been a tough, tough, tough time. Nobody would have predicted this. But overall, I think that the party has done, our government has done an exceptional job given the circumstances. You mentioned, uh, let's go to the two things, the things that you said you did well, the things you did not so well. We'll start with the not so well. You talk about the communications that you say you didn't do well. You're someone who has worked in communications for years and you're very good at it. And I'm wondering if at any point anyone from the government said, uh, Donna, can you maybe either help us here or give us some guidance or maybe get in front of the microphone because you're kind of good at this and that's what you do. Has anyone done that? Well, I've, I've spoken with a lot of my colleagues about, you know, tips on how to communicate. And the premier is best, and we all know this, when he's reading, I think he's at his weakest. When he's speaking from the heart, it's genuine, and that's when he shows his true uh, leadership style. And I think that's when people, when he really resonates with Ontario Ontarians. Um, I think that he is... He needs to listen to uh, people who are outside the Queen's Park bubble, because believe me, that that expression, the bubble, does exist. And we live in this bizarro world that most people are not aware of what really goes on as, as we think they are. And we have to step back and listen to people who aren't as um, as political as we are. Uh, it's, you wanted to talk about the, which particular thing in terms of what we haven't done well. Well, but I mean, you know what, do you then, do you, does the party follow social media and Twitter carefully? Because it seems oftentimes uh, the, the the Twitter is loaded with criticism of what he does. There are shots uh, more than there's compliments towards the premier on there. Now, I suppose that's in a lot of cases the same for any political leader, but do you follow social media closely or do you try to ignore it? I personally ignore it. I am not a fan of social media. I think social media brings out the absolute worst in people. If I shared with you tweets from people who are apparently, in prof- while they are in professions, that you would assume um, would act adult-like, they are nothing but bullies. And I'm embarrassed for them that they would tweet what they tweet. I think Twitter is... Uh, really not even worth following. I, I I don't know why we spend any time on Twitter. The only time I ever look for anything on Twitter is if it's breaking news. If I remember the first time I, I leaned on it, and that was during one of the trials. It was the very first trial, Colonel Russell Williams. Mm. And the judge at the time allowed um, reporters to bring in their phones and to tweet. And that was breaking news in real time. And I, I, I turned to Twitter for breaking news updates. I don't read it. When people message me and are are flabbergasted that I'm not responding, I just don't follow it. I don't like it. I think it is a horrible, horrible uh, platform, social media platform. 
And I think it brings out the absolute worst in, in everyone. And I would, um, I, I just, I don't like it. And most of our, I mean, we do, we do tweet just because you, you pretty well have to, but I don't think it really does influence anyone. I think people that hate us will hate us regardless of what we tweet. And I think people that love us will love us regardless of what we tweet. And I think that people who are indifferent aren't on Twitter following me or, you know, Doug Ford. In terms of, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I've got a few seconds before we have to go to a break. Finish your thought. I was going to say in terms of Facebook, I think it's a little bit different. I think people are tend to be a lot more uh, pleasant on Facebook. They're not as accusatory and, and divisive. Uh, it's a platform, but also if you're appealing to certain people, they only get information that is of interest to them. So if they are not interested in my views or my politics or anything that I want to say, they wouldn't necessarily be um, uh, given access to it in the sense it wouldn't be promoted. It wouldn't be on their stream because they're simply not mm-hmm. interested in it. So social media really feeds people within their bubble. It, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't provide a balanced uh, viewpoint on anything, politics in particular. And as I said, I'm just not a big fan. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Thursday, we went into this state of emergency into this stay at home order. And there has been a lot well, there have been a lot of people uh, around, whether it's social media, as we just discussed, or elsewhere, who have said, you know what, I, I don't really understand it. It's a little bit confusing. It's not really clear what's allowed and what isn't. Do you think those criticisms and those critiques are warranted or are those overstated? You know, I think that they're warranted. I think that, again, I think that there's uh, an issue. One of the, um, I guess the best message that the Premier was, was attempting to make this week was to just stay home. The biggest bit of confusion is the fact that we were already in a gray zone. It's the rest of Ontario that is seeing uh, a a bigger shift towards lockdown. We were already restricted severely in terms of what was open, where we could go. But um, other parts of the province, including the far north, were virtually wide open. And now they are in the same situation we're in. That's where you would see uh, most of the... um, the changes. But people in this area were expecting, I think, greater changes. We had already introduced huge restrictions just before, well, just after Christmas on the 26th. And so the leap to what we did introduce this week hasn't been that different. The only real message is just stay home. Please just stay home. You know, a little bit while ago, people were more relaxed. They were going out. They might go with the whole family to get groceries. We're trying to say, go back to the way it was in March instead of bringing the kids and throwing them in a buggy and going to the grocery store, just send one person from your household. We don't want people on the streets. We don't want people socializing. Um, it's a tough message. It's a tough pill to swallow because it's right back to where we were in March and that wasn't fun. It's also remarkable how one word, Don, it's also remarkable how one word essential can have 57,000 different meanings oh. for people, which confuses it because everyone looks at essential as something different under different circumstances. I would like people to perhaps add responsible, take some personal responsibility. We have phone calls to the office. Well, can I get away with this? Well, you can get away with a lot of things because nobody is going to hunt you down. But is it the responsible thing to do? If you're being asked to stay home and you want to go to visit friends in another community, are you going to be charged? 
probably not because it's doubtful somebody would even stop you. But is it the responsible thing to do? Don't ask somebody else to make that decision for you. Take some personal responsibility and simply stay home. It's not rocket science. Stay home. You have to go out because you just feel like you're cooped up. You want to go for a walk. Somebody asked why five. Well, so that five people in a family could go out and go for a walk. If you want to walk with a friend, walk with a friend. If you can't stay six feet apart, wear a mask. Um, there's, you know, that there's nothing wrong with that. We're just saying, please use common sense. Take personal responsibility. We want to get through this. The vaccines, as we just learned today, the Pfizer vaccine, um, amount of Pfizer vaccine doses we were getting has been cut in half. Now the feds are saying we're not going to get what we want until probably the fall. So the next amount of doses coming into Ontario are significantly impacted over the course of the next few weeks. So what we were hoping the, the state we would get to in terms of the rollout is going to be pushed ahead. That means we're going to have to do our part. We're not going to get to um, the end of this pandemic as quickly as we had hoped. Things are going to happen. The problems with Pfizer are out of our control and they're out of the control of the federal government. And we just have to accept that that's the reality of this pandemic and work together and stay home. You know, I, I love the message that, of personal responsibility. Um, I'm not sure that, you know, everybody loves that message because we all want someone to offer us very specific guidance about what is allowed and what isn't allowed. And, and you know, I, I, I wonder if it's if it's too broad. I mean, it, you know, again, I, I get it. I think a lot of people get it and say, yes, I, I believe in the personal responsibility. But unless you're going to tell someone you cannot do it under except under this, this and this, and then you start getting into a million different point form things. And how do you follow that? Exactly. I mean, they can challenge us on anything. Don't go out, um, you know, at uh, stay home if you can, after 8 o'clock at night. Well, you know, I left the house at 7.55 and I couldn't quite make it back before <laughs> 8. Does that, you know, there'll always be somebody pushing the envelope and challenging it. Just use some personal responsibility. If you think you shouldn't be doing it, don't do it. If you I, have to ask, you probably shouldn't be doing it. I do have to ask you this, though. Uh, we've seen a few politicians find their way into some trouble. Um, with this latest state of emergency stay at home, was there a... Uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, royal hell raised to say if any of anybody in government is found out of their house unnecessarily and gets us in trouble, um, that 800-pound gorilla will land on. I, there has to have been a warning fired across the bow to all of you. I think the premier's different. It's, you know, he doesn't want to micromanage anybody. He expects us also to use our own best judgment. And I think that uh, the former finance minister didn't use good judgment. He left when he shouldn't have, and he paid a hefty price for it. Um, and it was the right thing for him to do. And uh, I think that there are other politicians across the province that, that acted in, um, you know, incorrectly. Other leaders in other positions, not just politics as well. It was the wrong thing to do. But you're, you know, they're paying a, a big, a hefty price for it. But they are the ones that made the decision to leave the country. And um, it was it wasn't uh, it was just the wrong thing, the wrong wrong decision. It's interesting when you think about it. You know, the Rod um, Phillips. I mean, he's being penalized. The biggest scandal he was involved in was going on a vacation with his wife. When you look at it in that context, text, it's bizarre, but it's the timing. Going on a vacation with his wife when we were all told to stay home. So that is that is the the. Um, 
a big mistake on his part. It was a bad decision, and he's he's paid the price. Yeah, I would not want to be, on, uh, no matter what party, no matter what level of government, I would not want to be the next politician that gets caught in Antigua or something in the next few weeks. You may as well just stay there and take up residence and see if you can get a passport down there because uh, I don't think it will be pleasant for that person who comes home to deal with the uh, the spill-off. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. No, we've talked about some of the things that uh, admittedly um, could have been done better or may have been able to be done better through COVID so far. One thing uh, this week that you got a lot of praise for from around the council table, even here in Hamilton, was some of your old friends from council who didn't always agree with you on everything, but there has been some pretty wide uh, widespread compliments for this website that you started to help local businesses. Well, the, uh, the website's great, if I may say so myself, but that's not the issue. The issue really is that there's money available for small businesses, and, and uh, you'll see all levels of government now working together to try to get small businesses money, money they need because they are hanging on right now uh, by the skin of their teeth. They are desperate, and they need to get money into their pockets. And the bottom line is, if these small businesses are eligible, they could pocket potentially $40,000 in grants. That's what's on the table right now. Non-refundable? Non-refundable. So these are grants, not loans. And if I could just, in 30 seconds, explain that today, the province uh, opened up applications for anyone who is a small business owner, who has less than 100 employees, who has a business number who can show that they saw a significant uh, drop in their revenue stream, over 20%, they can apply for a grant of up to $20,000. They'll get a minimum of 10000 and they can. Um, we will match their losses dollar for dollar up to $20,000 uh, if they, they apply for this grant today, and it's on my, on my website. The website was also to show them other funds that are available to small business, everything from they can get their property tax, uh, a property tax rebate, their hydro bill reimbursed. They can get money for PPE costs, $1,000. There's a digital Main Street grant, which was extremely successful. We pulled it at the end of December, but I'm pretty confident that we're going to be starting it up again next week. I'm hoping anyway. It's $2,500 for small businesses and a team of tech, free tech support to help businesses transition to uh, e-commerce. There's a six, this is the, where the other 20000 comes into play, and it's a federal grant, but it's all on this one site, and that's what I tried to do. So there's a federal loan that is currently available to small businesses. It's been increased from 40000 to 60000 and as long as you repay it, the $60,000 loan, before December of 2022, you can keep 20000 of that. So even if you just borrow it and put it in a bank, you can keep 20000 of that matched with the 20000 grant that we are offering. That's $40,000 on the table today for small business. It's important that they go to this site. It's all there. The icons are simple. Everything that you click takes you right in to apply. It's a very simple application process. And if you're having problems, call my office. And it's, it's, it's simple to navigate, and that was the intent. And I just want people to realize that there is help for them. 
Well, this has been one of the maybe the hugest debate going on right now when we get into lockdowns and things like that is are is the doctor killing the patient or doing more harm by the lockdown is and, and you've heard this. I mean, we can tell everybody to stay home and nobody go out and close all the businesses and everything else and we may get rid of the virus, but then we may also get rid of the economy or do we try to keep the economy humming? And, but that's going to allow the virus to continue to percolate around and keep having people get sick. So what is the balance? What, what do you well, think the is the balance? Is, I think we have to wear, the, that's why you have to save for a rainy day. And that's why I believe in, in, I'm a fiscal conservative, because you put money away for a rainy day. And, and we're in, you know, a tsunami right now. This is a torrential rainstorm and we need to tap into our resources. And this money has to flow to small business, which is the backbone of our country. They have to survive and thrive beyond this. So this site is important because if you've ever tried to find anything on a government website, it's it's terrifying. It's just time-consuming. It's onerous. It's impossible often to navigate. This is really simple. And it's not just what we are offering as a province, but also the federal programs are all listed on there as well. So it's one-stop shopping. It's easy, easy, easy to access. And if I could say anything to anybody that's listening right now, if you have, if you are a small business owner or know a small business owner, direct them to this site. It will help them survive this, this uh, pandemic. It's a lot of money and it's sitting there. A lot of it is going untapped because people are unaware of it. So we've got to get the money flowing and we've got to get it into their pockets so that, you know, so that we, we have, we can tap on them when we need tax revenue to support our long-term care facilities and to take care of our most vulnerable. We have to work together on this, and this is really a joint initiative between the feds and the province. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You know, there is money flying out of the federal and provincial coffers at rates that I don't know that we've ever seen before. Um, I I read something really interesting today. the managing director of the International Monetary Fund uh, said today, spend to governments, spend as much as you can and then spend a little more. I'm not really sure I agree with her financial acuity, but nonetheless, when this whole thing ends somehow, and it will end at some point, how in the world are Ontarians and Canadians, but specifically Ontarians, because you're in provincial politics, how are we possibly going to dig out of this financial mess? We are going to dig out of it, and we are going to be way ahead of the situation we were in or the situation that was handed to us two years ago. And I, How? I promise you that. Scott, you wouldn't believe that there is job growth. There is job growth. For example, Heddle Shipyards is a, um, it's a shipbuilding company that builds ships in Hamilton. They have a head office down at the harbor. They have a plant in Uh, Welland and one in Thunder Bay. And we are working with them on a project that if it's successful, it's a multi-billion dollar uh, project and they're very close to landing it, could mean thousands, and I mean thousands of jobs in Ontario, high-paying jobs with benefits, building ships. Think about it. And this is going on. It's being replicated in many different plants across the province. Hamilton Airport, Hamilton is critical, critical when it comes to manufacturing, and people aren't even aware of it. Our airport is so strategic in terms of job creation and the movement of goods 
it's unbelievable. We were one of the critical factors in getting PPE delivered to Ontarians and vaccination, vaccine shipments. They came through Hamilton Airport. We have Amazon that's being built there. We have DHL. We have huge projects at the airport. And I'll give Kathy Pickering uh, a shout out for that. She's been unbelievable in attracting business. When the other airports, the passenger airports that were sexy, uh, have all seen huge um, decline, obviously, in, in revenue and jobs, they are booming at Hamilton Airport. This is going to continue. We actually saw last month an uptick in manufacturing in Ontario. But we, that was, of course, in terms of actual job growth, that was um, hurt because we've seen so many other uh, industries, so many other sectors that were harmed. But we're going to get through this. We are focusing on trades. We are introducing trades in grade one. There is a shortage of people entering trades. There are thousands and thousands of jobs in Ontario that go unfilled in the trades because we don't. But what about the debt, though, Donna? And and look, I mean, look, I I I hear what you're saying for sure. And and when you come out of this and things open up again, uh, yes, absolutely, you would expect that there will have to be jobs and growth. But the amount of money that, again, it's the federal government and the, and, the, and the provincial governments here in Ontario and elsewhere that they have had to pour out to cover all the bases and cover the things and still demands for billions and billions more for this and that and the other. How do we possibly dig out from that? I mean, there's only so much growth. We can't possibly grow that much to cover all we've spent. Scott, there's only one way to pay it back, and that's through taxes. And the only way we can get people to pay taxes is if they have a job and a good job. And that is the only way we'll get out of this. But we have we started that when we were, you know, Ontario open for business. Thank goodness. Thank goodness that our premier is the man that's leading us through this pandemic because we will get through it. People will get through this. We will get our vaccines and we will rebuild this economy. We will come out better than we were when we went into the pandemic. I guarantee it. I, I, I believe it. I've seen how he works. I've watched the job growth. I know how he attracts business. We will not be caught never being able to provide PPE and vaccines. We'll have our uh, pharmaceutical companies up in full uh, production of vaccines again. Why they have head offices here and no manufacturing plants is ridiculous. We've got to get manufacturing back into Ontario. We lost them during the last, I'm going to be very political here, but we lost manufacturing, 300,000 manufacturing jobs during the last Liberal government because of high, one of the reasons was high hydro rates. We are tackling everything we can to create an environment to attract businesses, to bring those jobs back. And that is the only way we will get out of this. We have a society, I would argue, that has, uh, you know, people on different sides of the equation. If you are more to the left, I would say, and I don't want to generalize too much, but you probably are not in favor as a rule of austerity and cuts to services and things like that, which would be one way also to bring expenses down. If you're on the right, you probably don't like the idea of increased taxes. I don't know though, and yes, you can grow, but those other things seem to be an essential somehow along the way, but either way you go, it's going to be very politically unpopular, you and the other governments. Not if we can get people a good job. If people feel comfortable, we've got to get jobs. We have to have affordable housing. People need a place to live. They want food on the table. They want to feel comfortable that their children and their loved ones will have a future. And that will, be, that will only come about if we have a good, strong economy. 
And that requires us to expand our economy. And I really think that the manufacturing sector is going to be the key in, in all of this. We were the leaders. We were the economic engine uh, of Ontario 30 years ago. We lost that. We have to return to that, and we will. It's not going to be easy, but we are headed in that direction. Our, you know, and I think, and I said that the, the, the trades are a big part of it. They really are. Trades today are very different than what we assume. Uh, it, a lot of them are, tra- when we talk about trades, we're talking about uh, very technical trades. Our, for example, our um, aerospace technology is booming between Mohawk College and, as I said, our airport, uh, KFC Aerospace. They are training a tremendous amount of young people in aerospace technology. The minute they get into the program, they're offered a job. And these are good, good, good jobs. This is what's going to help us. Um, you know, we're not going to be talking about cutting programs. We're going to be talking about, you know, that iron ring around our most vulnerable, pumping a lot more money into long-term care and uh, hospitals and health care that has been neglected and creating jobs. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We were talking briefly about social media and Twitter and how much you hate it and you try not to go on it and all the rest of the stuff. I want to go there and I want you to you wear not just your politician hat for the next few minutes, but also go back to your media, to your journalist talk show host hat for a minute. Because there was a radio host in Calgary, Danielle Smith, who just wrote a piece in the National Post this week and announced on her show, she is stepping away from social media and from doing her show. And the reason she says, she says, and this is her quote, I'm leaving because I've had enough of the mob and anything that she says, any controversial issue, anything that some folks on social media don't agree with, there is a deluge of abuse that lands on her. And look, you've got it too. I've had it too. Anyone in this business has had it. But here's the question we've seen in the States in the last week, the, the canceling of Donald Trump's social media site of his Twitter page. Um, Where do we stand on the idea of the organizations canceling people's social media sites, censoring them, cracking down on them, and where does free speech come in and we say, you know what, you got to live with it. Where, where's the balance? You've heard me say I, I absolutely do not like, I would use the word as, as harsh as despise, social media, in particular Twitter. I think it is a playground for adult bullies. I've said that time and time again, and I mean that. I don't follow it. I don't respond to people. I don't engage. Having said that, as long as they don't cross the line and threaten someone, physically threaten someone, or are deemed to have um, committed a crime, they have the right to say what they want to say. We have the right to not read it. If you don't like what somebody's saying in a talk show such as this, change the channel. But you don't have the right. No media outlet should have the right to prevent dialogue simply because they don't agree with the person's viewpoint. I think it's dangerous and I will defend anyone's right to freedom of speech as much as I may not agree with what they're saying. They have the right to say it. And if I don't like it and I don't like a lot of stuff I see on social media, but I will defend their right to, to post it, but I won't read it. And that is my right. Just tune them out. But that is where we, 
Well, exactly. It's what, what's happening in the U.S. Well, that's where we're heading, though, it seems. It seems because, I, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think a lot of people will say they are okay with Donald Trump's Twitter handle, Twitter site being taken down, Twitter account being taken down. I think a lot of people will say they're okay with that. But then, you know, I think there's a lot of other people who will say, okay, fine, but what about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? I heard a, someone point out this week that there are folks in Iran, leaders who are calling for the destruction of Israel, and they still have Twitter accounts. Well, what about that? And it's not about, Donna, I'm not saying, well, listen, who's worse? Who's better? It's not a contest. It's a question of how do you do this? How, if, we're, if there are people out there who are going to argue for censorship or cutting people off or whatever else, how do you possibly do it? And who's the adjudicator of this? Well, if you want to prevent the spread of hatred and the spread of violence, just shut down Twitter, because that is the, the source of most of this. But then you're but penalizing not- even the people who aren't being abusive. Yeah, Twitter is useless anyway, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. I think it is such a, it's just such a, a, a silly um, platform. There's nothing, there's nothing informative other than breaking news. I just, I just don't understand why people follow Twitter. I don't get it. But if you want to attack me, you have the right to attack me. Just don't threaten me and don't lie. Um, but they have the right, and I just don't read it, and that's my right. And I don't have to respond to them. And that's my right. And if I want to block them, that's also my right. I've had journalists, I had a girl from the CBC call me and say, how dare you block somebody on Twitter? I don't have to take abuse from anyone. And I don't have to, my staff doesn't have to take abuse from anyone. I mean, when you cross the line, I'm, that's it. You're out. But in terms of censorship, it's very, very, very dangerous. Because as a conservative, I see what's happening with the media. And there is absolutely no doubt that the right to speak as a conservative is being shut. It is being stopped. It is being shut down. Um, And that is very, very dangerous. I am not a Trump supporter. I want to make that very, very clear. I think he crossed the line. I think what happened in the U.S. is unbelievable. I would be petrified if I had been in that situation as any of those um, congressmen uh, were. Having said that, they do not have the right to stop people from speaking, expressing their views. And that's what's happening. But we're seeing that not just, and I say social media, I mean, I, I, it was my fault. I started this by talking about social media, but we're seeing this a lot of places. We're seeing it on university campuses. We're seeing a lot of places. And there seems to be a, an acceptance of the idea that we don't want to be subjected to ideas that we find offensive. And that means we seem to be okay and maybe beyond okay. We seem to be encouraging the idea of shutting people down who offend us. When I was on city council, we had a discussion, and I was absolutely horrified. There was actually a discussion around whether Jordan Peterson should be banned from being able to speak at a publicly, a city-owned building. Now, for people who don't know, Jordan Peterson is a writer, he's a philosopher, he's a professor, and he's, he has been controversial. He is conservative. He has very controversial. But he's also very, very widely read and very widely followed. And, you know, and here's where it gets into it. Some people will say Jordan Peterson is spreading hatred because he has talked about gender issues and other things like that. And some people will say that's offensive and that's hatred. And others will say, no, it's not hatred. But the problem with all these things is that we don't want what happened in the States, but we also don't. Who's the arbiter? The city councillors to determine who can and cannot speak at a public building. I mean, think about 
the fact that we even had that discussion is horrifying. That well, it was the same really, discussion. Really dangerous. Donna, was the same discussion not had after the Lock Street situation about the um, the uh, anarchists or the Antifa or whoever the group was ultimately that was determined to, that they said, okay, they're meeting or they're having meetings in town. We have to block them. Look, I, again, if you have established a criminal resume that we can then point and say, person X, John Doe, committed a crime therefore we and used his social media to help do that uh, yeah you know what i suppose um but we're, but we well, seem to be going way beyond that, that that's different the antifa are the group that that trashed lock street committed a crime that's different they did actually cross the line and some were charged and some were convicted i believe um I, i'm going to say i believe but that's very different from saying, I don't like what you're saying and not showing any, not proving that for, I'll use Jordan Peterson as an example. Show me where he has committed a crime. What did he say that is so offensive, so repulsive that it crossed the line to become a criminal um, expression, something that actually uh, creating a crime. A hate well, crime. that depends on your definition of, and here's well, where it gets no, very I've confusing. Seen, I haven't, well, I haven't if even you believe seen that. that. What he, but if you believe that hate speech is a crime, and if you include some of the things he's saying as hate speech, then one plus one equals two, so you believe he's committed a crime. If you don't believe what he is saying is hate speech, then he hasn't committed a crime, but you're putting a position in that requires somebody, and I'm not sure who that person is or group is, to determine that ruling and if no criminal charge or conviction has been levied you're you're assuming he has said something show me what it is that he said show me where he crossed the line and was has was not only accused but committed and uh, accused and convicted of committing a hate crime whether it's jordan peterson or anybody else and then you have the right to have a discussion about whether a person should be banned from speaking in a public building. But you can't just make an assumption that something maybe he said. And so, there was never any actual discussion based around, show me what it was. What is it that was so offensive? That wasn't it. It was a general assumption because of all of the hype around him. I mean, what is it? Do you know what he has said specifically that could um, be deemed as a hate crime? Uh, not specifically, I, I you know, not specifically, no. I, I, I don't. And these discussions are being had by people who are making decisions and they don't have the facts to back them up. And that's but, dangerous. Uh, but Very let's dangerous. use the example again. And I, I agree with you that it's dangerous, but the, the case at Wilfrid Laurier University that was based around a clip from a Jordan Peterson speech that, uh, what was her name? Shepard. Um, uh, Lindsay Shepard, who was the teaching assistant. And you'll remember that whole foo for all that broke mm-hmm. out because... Well, you know, some would say what he said was hateful and some would say, no, what he said was not hateful, but we're, anytime you get into this social media crackdown, censorship, blocking, cutting off, you're requiring there to be an arbiter of what is and what isn't acceptable. And to me, my concern is who determines, forget what the arbiter decides, who decides who's the arbiter who, and, and an algorithm can't do it. No. And you have to push back. I think a judge, a judge in a courtroom will determine whether something is indeed a hate crime and you'll be 
punished accordingly. But you and I don't have that authority, and nor does somebody on Twitter or uh, any sort of a social media platform have the right to make that determination. And if they do, they should be shutting down all of the sites that distribute or allow the distribution of child pornography, for example. But they don't. Those I don't know how are, they haven't done that already. They don't. Yeah, but I don't know how that, I mean, that that seems like a, well, I don't know if it's an, I don't say easy one, but that seems like, you know, an obvious one. Let's put it that way. Too much, there's too much money involved. And we've seen it. We've seen it where um, people have companies that, that host criminal websites that, that trade in, for example, I'll say ch- child pornography, or it could be anything from human trafficking. And they're not shut down because there's money involved. If you're really serious about... Yeah, I hate to think that we can be that cynical, but I think you may be right on on that one. Uh, we got a few minutes here. Let me, um, let me change tack entirely. Um, this has been heavy. Well, heavy. sort of. It, it's very heavy. I want to go to I want to go to one that's a whole lot lighter. And this story, I want to share a story that comes from Argentina um, over the weekend. Uh, now, by the way, we're talking to Donna Skelly. Interpret or apply nothing I'm saying in the next 30, 40 seconds to Donna. This is just a a story. It's got nothing. Just lay, letting it out there ahead of time. It's got nothing to do with Donna Skelly at all. The story comes from Argentina, where police, because of a party that police were tipped off to. Uh, in a town called Mar del Plata, which is 380 kilometers south of Buenos Aires, they show up at this house because people are reporting there are people gathering for a party. Turns out it's a swingers party. And um, there's a whole lot of people doing what is done at a swingers party, I guess. Uh, the story says officers entered the building, found the place decorated with candelabras, purple lighting, and raunchy videos were playing. Here's where the story gets really hilarious. The people at the swingers party, when the police arrived, thought they were part of the show <laughs> and sort of got prepared for the officers to join in because they thought they were <laughs> strippograms or something. Didn't turn out to be quite that way. Now, the reason I bring up this story is, well, I mean, if you want to go down this path, fine, but I don't expect so. Uh, leaving aside the the swingers party, what is it after all this time that you cannot wait, not swingers parties. What is it that you cannot wait to get to be able to do again that you cannot do right now because of COVID? <laughs> I was going to say, I thought maybe you were saying at least they were wearing masks. But, no, no, uh, Matt. Well, maybe, uh, but not on their mouth. Well, maybe on their mouth. I don't know. But I'm looking at this thing. Okay, these people clearly couldn't wait for COVID to pass to get back to their business. I'm not attending yeah. any swingers parties. I'm assuming you're not either. But what is the thing that you just cannot wait to get back to once COVID finally is gone and we get the green light to go out and resume normal life again? I envision it right now. I'm in mine. I'm not going to name which one it is. My favorite Hamilton restaurant with good friends and there's low music. You can barely hear it because there are people chatting and there's noise and laughter and chairs bumping and you hear a dish breaking and it's normal again. So it's a Greek restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's really what I can't wait to hear where it's crowded and there is a lot of noise and a lot of life. And that's what I miss, the sound of life. 
Do you think that's going to happen quickly? Do you think that's going to happen easily? Or And what I'm saying is, do you think people are going to, at the second that your premier or any premier, depending how long this takes, gives the green light, are people going to race out and do that? Or do you think there's going to be a lot of hesitation and concern? Not a lot of hesitation. There will be hesitation. I think you'll see perhaps not so much of the crowded um, cafes that we're used to. I think people will wear masks more often, especially during flu season. I would. And I think people will take the onset of a cold a lot more seriously. But I do think that we will get back to normal life and uh, we will be able to hug and have fun and laugh and and toast each other once again. It's just going to take a bit of time. The masks thing is kind of funny, not wearing masks, but I mean, just a couple of years ago, if you saw somebody walking down the street wearing a mask and there were people who did, they may have come from another country where that was more commonplace or whatever. We looked at them and went, what are you doing? Or if we saw Michael exactly. Jackson, remember when Michael Jackson used to wear that yeah. mask all the time? We're like, you're weird. Now yeah. it's like, wow, you were really ahead of your time. And now if they're not wearing a mask, yes. what are you doing? I'm offended. You know, wear a mask. I, I hope that is one thing that we wash our hands and wear a mask because, um, I think it will help us uh, a lot. And next, it'll be interesting to see what the flu rate is next year. And if people do continue to wear masks, we know that the flu, the actual flu, uh, reported cases of the flu were significantly lower, thank goodness, or we wouldn't have been able to um, handle the number of, of cases that we have in the hospitals right now. But that would be one good thing that could possibly come out of this. That, and more than anything, focusing on our seniors in long-term care facilities. It's an area that was never sexy for politics, so they were neglected for years, for years, from all levels of government, all stripes, and that is one area that we know we have to go back and, and spend money and take care of these, these people who are the, our most vulnerable. We have to take care of our seniors, and I think that that will be probably the, the, the one good thing that comes out of uh, this uh, pandemic. You know, I, I love that you keep it so simple with the with the restaurant. I may even go simpler than that. I just want to, and you touched on it, just be able to walk down the street and not be thinking about giving someone the stink eye or getting the stink eye if your mask is not sitting right on your face or go into the store and not have, you know, it just it, act like a normal person to people again, which, which just seems we, we don't even treat people like people anymore. They are germ carrying devices. I know. I know. Germ delivery services. I mean, kisses. I don't think people will kiss on the cheek. I think that'll be gone. Well, except at that swingers club in Argentina. I think they might. <laughs> no, well, they're, well, no, they're not. They're wearing masks. It may not be on the cheek or, or, or the other cheek that we're not really thinking about. <laughs> Protection somewhere. They're not wearing a mask on that cheek, I'm quite sure. <laughs> Donna Skelly, MPP for Flamborough Glanbrook. Listen, I really appreciate you doing this today. A lot of fun. Thanks for taking the time and, uh, and doing this. Anytime. And the new slogan is stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Want to hear more? Download the podcast on iTunes or Google Play and listen to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.